0: Ladies and gentlemen, it seems that something has arrived in England. The shooting star. Do you think it could be from Mars? Something can erupt from Mars and end up in Surrey. There's something inside. It's opening. This is nothing to be concerned about. They are coming! Ready? Fire! No! The War of the Worlds on BBC One.
1: Prepare to meet your God. I got a better response for a service, I'm just saying. <laughs> I can tell already this is going to be a tough poll. Our world seems to be fascinated with Martians. How do you remember Marvin the Martian? I had a Marvin the Martian tie. I don't know why anyone gave it to me. I don't know that I ever wore it, but I had one. We seem to be fascinated. In the late 1800s, there was a series of books that were written about this Martian invasion in our planet that led to the radio broadcast that probably all of you have heard about with Orson Welles in 1938. Did any of you hear that live? I'm just kidding. I don't want to know heard it live. I don't know, but it was one that shook the nation. Following that, Gene Barry and Ann Robinson fleeing from Martian invasion in the 1953 film, Richard Burton's voice in Jeff Wayne's 1978 musical version, Tom Cruise in the 205-2005 movie adaptation, and then a remake by the BBC coming later this fall, all about this invasion from Mars. We're all Going to die. Our fascination with Mars even spilled over to this idea that men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and that wonderful relationship book. But what I want you to know this morning is while we're fascinated with Mars, you could have the opportunity to go to Mars and live there. A Dutch nonprofit organization called Mars One is proposing to put four people on, a Mars, on Mars in an initial colony in 2030, followed by news crews every two years where people will make it their permanent home and never come back. They'll do exploration and study and live there till they die, they'll never come back. There's um, interest in that as well as they've put out a call. In 2013, More than 200,000 people applied to be considered to go to Mars and never come back. 200,000 people volunteered. How many of you have a friend you'd like to volunteer to go to Mars? I'm just kidding. I don't want to (laughs) know who you want to send to Mars. They've pared that down to 100 people split evenly between men and women that range from doctors to unemployed people in their 20s. People are lined up to go to Mars and never come back. Now there are those who say it won't work. In 2030, we won't be ready. An MIT analysis of the mission of the mission predicts that people could start dying from oxygen-related issues in just 68 days. That the technology isn't there to make it self-sustaining. But NASA also plans to send men and women to the moon also in 2030. I don't know what that means, but you better get your life in order. They planned for the crew to go and come back instead of becoming permanent residents, thus solving the sustainability problem. So if you've ever wanted to go to Mars and live till you died, which could be 68 days, you have the opportunity to go and never come back. Why the fascination? Why 200,000 applicants? It's because I believe there's something God hardwired in the human psyche that desires adventure, doing something that no one else has done, and forgive me for saying going where no man has ever gone before, (laughs) and seeing something change. And I want to suggest to you it was that spirit of adventure that drove early missions in our nation. People that were willing to go to an unknown place and never come back. Missionaries to East Africa in the early 1800s shipped their goods to Africa in coffins because they knew that most of them would likely either be struck down by disease or by unfriendly natives. Did you hear what I said? They shipped their materials in coffins. I remember early as a Bible college student hearing a missionary talk about those kinds of scenarios and that someone said to them, you you shouldn't go. If you go, you'll never come back. The attitude of those early missionaries was God called us to go. He didn't say anything about coming back. It's following the call. In the early 1800s, one of those missionaries was A.W. Milne. He set sail for the New Hebrides In the South Pacific, aware that headhunters had martyred every missionary before him, he packed his goods in a coffin, moved to the South Pacific, and ministered there for 35 years among that headhunting tribe. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village, and this is what the natives wrote on his tombstone When he came here, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Woo! That's shouting ground. I'm telling you, that's a heart that says, I'm willing to spend my life to make a difference. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Methodist missionary James Calvert, in the later 1800s, committed his life to reaching the indigenous people of the Fiji Islands, And while on his voyage to the islands, the captain said, you need to turn back and give up on this idea. You will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among the savages. And Calvert replied, it doesn't matter, we died before we came here. I read an article, a blog, that was talking about that heart and passion of the early missionaries. And I want you to listen to what this article said. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things. That faithfulness, that faithfulness is holding the fort and that playing it safe is safe. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. And it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is is to arrive safely at death. There's something powerfully biblical about pursuing a cause with a commitment that, whatever it costs, I will not turn back. It's time for the church to rise up in a politically correct, snowflake cupcake generation and say there still are things that are right. There's still things that are wrong, and we're willing to we're willing to give our lives to a vision that's come from heaven whatever it costs it needs to be our personal missions commitment and when we talk about missions often you'll hear this in missions you need to go you need to give and you need to pray and those are not separate ideals it's not go or give or pray it's going giving and praying and i'd like to suggest to you that our church this body my life needs a fresh commitment to following God whatever the cost with no thought of turning back or giving up no matter what the cost would be. I want to challenge you to develop a mission's heart that's committed to going and not coming back. Committed to going and not coming back. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, in the end of Mark chapter 16, first, there's that great text that says, "...these signs shall follow them that believe." How many have heard that text before? Where have you been? I cite that text about every other week. These signs shall follow, and it's the hallmark of the Pentecostal church. We want to believe in miracles. And it also says in this section to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We're called, all of us, not just the disciples, but all of us called to go into all the world. So I want you to think about it this way. We're part of an organization called the Assemblies of God that began in the early 1900s to be the greatest missionary arm the world has ever seen, to publish the gospel, to plant churches, and to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a little sense of what this organization we're part of is doing. We have missionaries on almost every part of the planet. We have missionaries where missionaries can't go that go as business associates or in some other form. We have almost 2,700 missionaries, 357 MAPS workers, 9,620 short-term personnel. Our giving to missions last year was $204 million. We have 66 million worldwide AG constituents with 57 million of those overseas. And we are right now engaging or have plans to engage 321 unreached people groups. We are committed to reaching this world with the message of Jesus Christ in places where people have never heard. Every 52 seconds, a new believer is added to the church. By the end of this service, 104 people, every hour and a half, 104 people will be coming to faith in Christ. Every 108 minutes, a new minister is launched in ministry every 180 minutes a new church is planted eight new churches around the world every 24 hours because we have an organization that says that we will not rest we will not stop until the whole world has heard about jesus christ but you think well that's a lot we might already have the job done there are 26 countries right now with no ag church Well, there might be another evangelical church there. There might be. I don't have those stats. But I will tell you, anywhere we aren't present, there's not much else present either. 26 countries with no AG church. 14 countries with only one church for every 1 million people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? One church for every one million people, and there are over one billion people without an AG ministry anywhere near them have never heard the gospel message. That's just our stats, and that would be replicated across the board. There's a world that needs to hear about the cause of Jesus Christ. The call, though, is not just corporate to the body that we're part of, It's also individual. When Jesus in Mark 16 appeared to the 12 and gave that text to go into all the world and then told them that signs would follow, you need to understand how that text started. That discussion started this way in Mark 16. The Lord appeared to the 11 as they were eating. We do that well, don't we? He appeared to the 11 as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. That's how this pericope, this section starts. He rebukes them for their unbelief and their unwillingness to believe. Following that rebuke, he says to them, go into all the world. I'm going to link those together because Jesus did. There's a direct link between unbelief and an unwillingness to go. There's a direct relief, with, uh, a direct connection between stubbornness to believe and not engaging a lost and dying world. And if you want your faith to grow, you can't sit around contemplating the struggles you're facing alone. You need to get out on the battlefield, deal with lost people, begin to share your faith in Christ and all of a sudden, you'll experience a power you've not felt before. Get over your unbelief and your stubborn refusal to believe by engaging lost people for the kingdom of God. And when you get there, then these signs shall follow. But the promise that these signs shall follow started as a rebuke. I didn't expect a lot of shouting. That's why I planned to be here till 2 o'clock. We'll get done before that, though. It's been said over and over that his last command should be our first concern. And here's what I want to challenge you to. Well, I thank God for missionaries that packed their belongings in coffins and went with no, no hope of return. This generation needs, our church needs, an unyielding commitment to evangelistic outreach that it's not about us being comfortable. I'll never forget an interview I was that I had with a church board and said, what do you want from a pastor? And they said, "We want a pastor that knows all of our kids by name, comes to all our kids' events, or there for our birthdays. And I said, we'll not get along because I don't believe the church is here to keep believers comfortable and take care of all of your little petty nuances, but rather there's a world that's lost and dying and going to hell and it's time for the church to rise up with an unyielding commitment that I'm going to reach my neighbors, I'm going to reach my colleagues, I'm going to reach my family, I'm going to reach everything I can because I packed my belongings in a coffin and I am not, I am not going back. I believe when the Bible says that Jesus is coming back, the angel said he's going to come back in the same manner that he came or that he left, coming back in the same manner that he left, how did he leave? He left saying, don't be unbelieving, reach the lost, and expect miracles to happen. I believe that's who he's coming back for. I said, I believe that's who he's coming back for. I believe in an unyielding commitment to evangelism. I'll never forget, both of our daughters are involved in ministry today, Crystal that you know and Tiffany on the college campus pioneering a work and God's doing amazing things there. I'd love to tell you all about what's happening. It's just amazing what God is doing. But I'll not forget she was in elementary school sitting at our kitchen table and all of a sudden it struck her. She said, Dad, didn't God tell us to go into all the world? And I said, yes. She said, then what are we doing sitting here? Let's get a bus. (laughs) And she started going to her friends and to the people up the hill and led a little neighbor girl to Jesus I'm telling you we need that passion again that we're not here to be comfortable and own our own ground and get a better job and be happy and arrive safely at death it's time to pack our belongings in a coffin and say I've left it behind and I'm going to do everything in my power to keep my face set toward evangelism and reach a lost world for the king is there anybody in the house this morning Reaching lost people for Jesus. In the next year, you're going to see some changes around here. We're going to get serious about that, but we all need to be serious about that in our everyday living. Are you willing to commit yourself to reaching lost people for the king? Second, I want to challenge you to give and not look back. Giving and not looking back. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you have heard that God loves a cheerful giver? A few more of you. I tell you, two o'clock. Now, how many have heard it? <laughs> God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word means a hilarious giver. And I've always wanted to take a hilarious offering. I've, I've never had the courage to do it. And it'd be tougher now with online giving. No, it might be easier with online giving. But how many of you remember checks, checks how many of you actually still use checks oh it might still work here's what i'd like to do for a hilarious offering i'd like you to take out a check write berean church on the line and sign it then give it to your neighbor and ask them to fill out the amount they think you ought to give i think that would be hysterical that's my idea of a hilarious offering Give until, people who give till it hurts haven't understood joy. If you give till it hurts, you've just given till you've touched your flesh. But when you give past pain to this is ridiculous, then you've found the spiritual place of joy in giving. And so he says to not do it reluctantly. Um, and that word's really unique. Uh, when I think of something reluctantly, I think of going shopping. I'll do it reluctantly, unless it's bass pro. <laughs> I'll go reluctantly. So I just thought, you know, kind of a mild resistance is what that means. <laughs> oh, no. No, let me tell you where this exact same Greek word is used to describe an entirely different context, and then let's go back to this verse. That same, that same word is used here, and it's translated Pain. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Now, ladies, guys, shut up. (laughs) Do not respond in any fashion to what I'm going to ask next, okay? I'm trying to save your life. Do not respond. But I'm wondering, ladies, how many ladies have given birth? Would you describe that moment of Childbirth as feeling kind of reluctant? <laughs> wouldn't quite cover it, would it? No, wouldn't quite cover it. So this word is that same word. Don't give out of pain. And I thought I had this image in my mind of someone in the offering giving the missions going, oh, there's a dollar. Oh, there's a dollar. Oh, there's a dollar. Don't give like you're in childbirth. supposed to be joyful. And then the other word is under compulsion. And that word means imposed by circumstances or law, necessity due to calamity, distress or straits. So when a hurricane hits Florida, people are under compulsion to get out of the way. So I picture some people they're giving, they're either running from a hurricane or they're trying to give birth, but they haven't found the place of joy. Don't give that way running from a calamity or out of pain but find the place of joy. What causes us to experience pain in giving? It's when we look back with doubt. It's called donor remorse. How many of you experience buyer's remorse? i love having money to spend i feel empowered i don't have to spend it just knowing that i can i got some money here i got five bucks i can go to mcdonald's if i want to but once i've spent the money whatever it is i've bought what i'm looking for i start thinking was that the best purchase um, could I have gotten a better, is that right? Is that what I, She hates this she, I can't even share with her, so I need a therapy group Someone that will have <laughs> sympathized With me with my buyer's remorse It's like, oh, I don't know, I think maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have done this, maybe it wasn't the right choice And I go through this whole thing, kicking myself And uh, I've got to get over that And I'm trying, I think if I buy More things, I'll get better at it <laughs> Another shotgun A fishing pole, a new truck How many are hearing me now? <laughs> Getting over that But we do the same with our giving. We're in a service, and God moves on our heart, and we respond with an offering. And then Monday comes, and we think, oh, how could I afford to do that? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that was the wrong thing to do, and it's giver's remorse. I'm telling you that God can't bless you if you don't mix your giving with faith. And trust that what he has said, he will surely bring to pass. I've given it, and I'm trusting God for him to use it for his kingdom purposes. I had a situation, I've told this story a lot, it's just one of my favorites. Every, all of us have altar, anchor, stone places that you remember, I'll never forget. Many years ago, being in a fellowship meeting with pastors, and one of the pastors was in need, and our elder, our presbyter, took an offering. And he asked if every pastor in the room would give five bucks to this need. Five bucks was more then than now, but if everyone would give five bucks, so we all reached in, everybody gave five dollars. That was before checks, we carried cash. Everybody gave five bucks. The offering was taken, and then one of the guys said, Oh, pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's wrong? He looked in his wallet he said, I had two fives and a twenty, and I still have two fives. Um, I gave a twenty can I get that back and give you a five? And the pastor said, not a chance. We don't give refunds from offerings. (laughs) And he said, now watch this. He said, well, at least I'll get a $20 blessing. And the presbyter said, no, you gave five. God got 20 out of you. (laughs) But you gave five, you only get a $5 blessing any offering mixed with remorse not mixed with faith loses the blessing that goes along with that give and don't look back next sunday we'll have this card provided for you a faith promise card that'll give you an opportunity to give it'll have a commitment of a certain number of dollars a month we need i think it's in the neighborhood of $17,000 a month to support the missionaries that we're supporting we need everybody to help carry that load. And there are missionaries all the time asking for help that I, that we can't support. So we're gonna ask you to do that. Know it ahead of time. Have time this week to pray. God, what would you have us do? And we're running in the red again last month. Why are we doing that? Because I believe that missions dollars should go to the mission field and not sit in an account. And I, and missionaries call all the time that say, hey, could you help? Can you support us, young lady? daughter of missionary friends of ours and there's no money to do that and i'm telling you that we've got to do more to reach the world for the cause of jesus christ and you've heard me say this over and over again it is the holy spirit that empowers ministry but it's money that fuels ministry and you can talk to a missionary called by God with a legitimate call from God, a vision for ministry, a passion to go, that are equipped and trained and ready. And there's only one thing that stands between them and fulfilling the call, and that's money. That's money. I serve on the board of trustees at Trinity Bible College, and it's amazing what God is doing. It's amazing what God is doing on that campus buildings that were run down are now showpieces one couple gave two million dollars to build that prayer center god is doing all kinds of things there on the campus but they're having a terrible time trinity bible college and graduate school can't pay their budget expenses why because we like to give to projects let me give towards something i can see that might have my name attached But nobody wants to spend money on budgets. It's not as exciting. But without spending and raising money for budgets, buildings will collapse. No ministry will happen. Somebody has to help carry that load. I chair the Academic Affairs Committee, and we're having a discussion about a new initiative for for, um, distance education. $250,000 budget was raised. People had made commitments to that, but were having to change direction because the original plan didn't work. We're there in the meeting, and one of the trustees, an elderly gentleman, said, how much money would it take to run this program for two months? The vice president of academics said, well, it'll take, I don't know, I don't want to do it for two months because we have to hire someone, then we have to pay them. I don't want to pay them for two months and then have to let them go because there's not any more money. And he said, I get that, but that's not the question I asked. How much money would it take to run it for two months? There's more discussion. Finally, he asked the third time, All I want to know is how much money will it take to run this for two months while you raise money for the rest? What would it take? It'll take $75,000. You'll have it by Friday. That wasn't a prayer request. That means he's writing the check. I've had people prophesy, oh, you'll have it by Friday. It's another thing to write the check to make sure it's there by Friday. How many are hearing what I'm saying now? That family has given millions of dollars to the school and to missions and the work of the kingdom. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to have the kind of money that you could sit in a meeting and say, you need $75,000, you'll have it by Friday? How many would like to be able to do that? <laughs> well, I would. I told the guy afterwards, I, uh, what he's done is, is amazing to me. He's one of my heroes. But if you're not faithful, I mean, if you asked me for $75 by Friday, it'd stretch me a bit. But the fact is, you're not faithful with the $7.50 you have you'll never have the 75000 to give because Jesus doesn't measure your gift by the amount you give but by the amount you have left the impact that's made on you and here's his philosophy he said I believe in giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going Giving for the kingdom's sake. Talking about giving and not looking back. Giving has to be mixed with faith. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now watch what follows the phrase I've already highlighted. God loves a cheerful giver and... Does anyone know what follows? God loves a cheerful giver and... God is able to make all grace abound to you. Doesn't say all money, it means all grace. That when you're faithful in that which is least, you'll find God's faithfulness in things that are greater. And if you want to see the power of God released in your life in, in all kinds of areas of grace expressions, be faithful with what's in your hand, and He'll trust you with things that you can't see. And when you give, God will make all grace abound you. I'm talking about giving and not looking back. I want to also call you to pray and not draw back. Praying and not drawing back. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They should always pray and not give up. It's the parable of the unjust judge or the parable of importunate prayer. And a woman is interceding the judge on behalf of her son and is finding no relief. She can't find justice. And ultimately, the judge says this in verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out by her coming. Now, God wants to avenge us. He is not an unjust judge, and this isn't about continuing to pray till God gets with the program. What is she warring against? She's warring against an unjust judge. God is just, God is on your side, but there are walls and strongholds of injustice that will not come down until we batter it with the ram of prayer, keep running against it, keep standing against it, keep fighting against it, and when you keep prayer pressure up against injustice, It will eventually collapse. God has created a world that we have freedom of will. And there are areas where God could respond on his own, but doesn't because he's given you the freedom to participate. The Bible tells us there was a time that God looked for a man to stand in the gap, that he called held back judgment, and there was none. I'm saying to you that we need to stand up against disease, we need to stand up against darkness, we need to stand up against turmoil and problem and hold our ground that importunate, persistent prayer will make a difference. The continuing tense in Matthew chapter 7 would read this way. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And the answers will come. We're pressing against the injustice of darkness. There was a prayer in the book of Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel prayed and fasted for an answer for 21 days. And then an angel appeared to him and said, Daniel, your prayer was heard on day one. But Michael, your prince, was warring in the heavenlies. And as long as he prayed, the angel kept warring. It was like Aaron and Hur holding up the hands of Moses. And as he continued to pray, the war continued until there was a breakthrough. We need men and women that are willing to pierce the darkness, that are willing to pray through the strongholds, that are willing to hold up the hands that hang down and not just pray, and now I lay me down to sleep prayer, but a prayer that engages warfare, that drives the devil back. Is anyone hearing me this morning? That drives back the injustice and says, we will not stop until we see his kingdom come, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. I've listened to wonderful stories of missionaries. I'm not going to tell you the missionary couple because I'm not sure I have all the details exact, but the stories I remembered, it was a terrifying moment for them. They were ministering in an African nation where there were marauders trying to overthrow the government. And when these groups, these militia would come through, they didn't just shoot up the government officials. They tried to do as much damage and create as much fear as possible. They'd behead the men, they would rape the women, murder the children, burn them alive in their buildings. It was a horrible, scary time. Where they lived, they had a wall around their house and a gate with an armed guard because it was just expected. If you wanted any kind of safety, you needed to have security. And one particular night, they remember hearing gunshots in the district, bombs, grenades going off. And they heard that militia marching toward their, their town and they knew that they were in trouble. In fact, they heard them come into the city, heard the gunshots. And before long, they heard them pounding on the gate, trying to knock the gate down. They didn't know what else to do. They climbed up in the rafters, tried to hide. Mom and dad and two kids, scared for their lives. You say, well, you ought to have, you ought to have uh, faith and never be afraid. Let's put you in that house and see how you'd react. And they're believing God, but it was a terrifying moment. And then they heard the gate bust open, and now they're up to the house. What are they going to do? When all of a sudden, it stopped. And for some inexplicable reason, The militia walked away from their house and left. They were thankful, didn't know why. They're back in the United States. They're back in the United States, itinerating. Elderly lady comes up to them after a service and said, I have my journal. Particular night and a time that God woke me from sleep and I knelt on the floor and I prayed and prayed and prayed until that burden lifted. What happened? They pulled out their journal and would you be surprised to know that while they were in the rafters, God awoke a prayer warrior in the U.S. who began to pray. Angels were dispatched. And the enemy was routed because somebody, I said somebody, knew how to lay hold of the power of God. That's the kind of praying we need in this generation that our city needs, that our family needs. I read another story. It was um, another mission story. A church that had missionaries. Missionary missions convention. And as they're sharing stories, um, they're home after church talking with their little girl who was in early elementary and as they're talking and and they're sharing stories she stood up and said we have to pray for i'll just call them the andrews family the missionaries we have to pray for the andrews right now right now and they said well why they didn't even think she knew that name they hadn't been there hadn't talked about them she said it's the andrews we have to pray for them why the bees it's the bees it's the bees we've got to pray and they thought whatever we're not going to bed till we pray so they all began to lift up the andrews family for the bees praying for the bees year or so later, that family comes through their church. They had it written down. Said, what? Whew. We have to know what happened on such and such a day. At a certain time, they pulled out their journal and began to read. And they said, that was the day we were out in the villages and a swarm of killer bees surrounded us And it seemed like there was no hope for us. We were going to die in the middle of that jungle. And then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, that cloud of bees lifted and dissipated and flew away because God touched the heart of a little girl in America who said, pray the bees, the bees, the bees. And angels were dispatched. Are you hearing me? I said angels were dispatched and the bees were sent on their way because somebody believed in praying through until the answer comes. Calm down. I'm telling you why. We'll change our city if we'll pray with that kind of prayer. We'll change our family if we'll pray with that kind of prayer. We'll make a difference with that kind of praying. Look, this morning, I'm not asking you to go to Mars, I'm asking you to go to missions. I'm asking you to go with a mission's commitment to your world and not come back. I'm asking you to give and not look back. I'm asking you to pray and not draw back. Hold that ground. In a world that seems to believe they have a right to not be offended, you're in the wrong place this morning. In a place where you have to honor and protect cupcakes and snowflakes, you're in the wrong place I'm not here this morning to make you comfortable. I'm here to challenge you with a new commitment and a fresh vision that we're going to make a difference. And we're not stopping until Jesus comes. We're not stopping until Jesus comes. I want you to go and don't come back. Give and don't look back. Pray and don't drop back. Do you believe that? Oh. whole if there's still one person in our world that doesn't know about Jesus, we've got more work to do. Other of friends say to me not that long ago, said, we want to start a church on your side of town. And uh, out of respect for you, I will let you know that and we're going to wait. And I said, oh, don't wait. Because if I stop a church from starting, I'll give an answer to God for every unreached person we don't reach. As long as there's one more lost person, there's room for another church. As long as there are people who haven't heard, there's more work to do. I had a a young man came up to me after first service and he said, I've been wrestling with this for a long time. I've Felt like God's called me to go into missions, to invest my life there, and I don't know what to do. And I said, "Brother, we'll do everything we can to help you get there, training and prep, and getting yourself ready." And so my appeal is to that: if God's put a call in your heart to go somewhere, I gotta share one more story. I don't think I think your mom would care if I shared what she shared with me. She, I don't know what's happening up here, but I'm about to. Melt in a puddle. I was talking to Sharon Thomas, and she said when they first went in missions, she felt terrified. The one place she was terrified of going was to China. And she said, I don't know. If God's calling me, I'll go. If He wants me to go to China, I'll go. And I said, No. He sent China to you. He said, He sent China to you. He may call you to go. You can talk to Dawson's. He may call you to go. He may call you to stay, but he will call you to missions to go, to give, and to pray. And all I'm asking this morning, all I'm asking, I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. I'm not asking you to fill out a card. I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to stand before God and say, help me go to a missions commitment Help me go toward evangelism and never come back. Help me give and never look back. Help me pray and never drop out. If you're willing to at least ask him to help you with that, would you just stand, lift your hands, and tell him you're available to him? pastor Nathan's going to lead us in worship for a minute just tell him in your way God let me be one of those I've packed my belongings in a casket and I'm headed for heaven and I'm not looking back just lift your hands and tell him to follow Jesus. No turning back. Lord Jesus, let this be a day, a day of demarcation in our lives, that we are turning away from the weak and beggarly elements of the world to a full and complete commitment to follow after you. Not turning back from the call that you've given to the church to reach our world for the cause of Jesus Christ. We stand here this morning open before you saying, here we are, send us to our neighbors, to those around us, and to a world in need. We ask in Jesus' name, and everyone that loves him said, Amen. A. God bless you. If you have time at 5:30 tonight, come and we're going to pray for missionaries. Thank you for wearing your name badges. Turn to somebody you don't know. Surprise them. Call them by name. Talk to somebody you don't know before you go this morning.